Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time, I'll be talking about two of my first times. Before I even knew what pride meant, 1979, I wanted to experience the culture, the life, the very first pulse-stopping, hard-in-my-throat-time-in-a-gay-bar, Boots and Saddle, 76 Christopher Street. For 40 years it was there. 700 square feet of exotic desire. It was only five years old when I went there. All by myself, covertly, as discreetly as possible. No support network, no GLSEN, no PFLAG, no fruit fly, none of that. I was on my own. I couldn't even tell one person from my life what I was doing or where I was going or what I did or who I met. I had to keep this all to myself. George Carlin said something like, fags were guys who didn't go downtown with you to beat up the queers. This experience was locked in the vault. So I believed. I thought my head was going to explode. There was a simmering cauldron inside that needed to be stirred. The heart quickening, the nerves, the almost incredibly drawn out decision to step inside, outside, the indecision, the repetitive actions that got me one inch closer at a time, over and over. I was an emotional basket case. The stalking of the vicinity, just in case someone you knew who was straight and just so happened to be strolling by. I'll repeat that later. And then there was the first time at the baths. Realizing you could actually be the same person you already are with beneficial additions or just additions and an actual sex drive. I wanted sex. Boy, did I want sex. I wanted to see other guys naked. I wanted to touch them. I wanted to feel them. I wanted to kiss them. I wanted them to see me naked. I wanted them to feel me. I wanted them to kiss me. I wanted everything. And I got it. This was 1979. I was a teenager. I was a nervous wreck. Petrified terrified of having to interact with another man who I might be able to have a conversation with. A guy. Every guy who I ever knew when I was that age and was gay was so much more sensual than I could imagine. They would make small talk and still be sexy. I was intimidated, but boy, was I drawn to them like a moth to a flame. I was Irish Catholic we had paintings of Kennedy and Pope Paul on the living room wall. I was so repressed. I thought that if, by chance, I had become so intoxicated by the scent of another guy and acted on impulse, after experiencing the utter joy of playing with other guys, any other guys who were my age, that I would forget myself and give myself away. At the time, I still believed that I was at least to some degree successful in hiding my sexuality. 
yeah. So I stalked the place. I imagined what it would be like to go inside. I watched the door open and close, and open and close, and open and close. I saw gay men and young gay men confidently stride along the fabled home of gay culture, Christopher Street, Shangri-La. They were adding to and enriching it just by being themselves. I was jealous of them. I wanted to be matter-of-fact like they were. They had something I wanted to be simultaneously celebrated and anonymous for and about. I believed that I would unconsciously adopt affectation that would tell everyone I was a big fag or a little one. My mind raced all over the place. The possibilities that would overwhelm me if I actually came out or just acted on my so very deeply held desires. My clothing choices and the way I wore them would be very telling. My gaze would linger and I would be caught looking. I would have the time of my life with new companions and then a bully would appear. We would run for it and our hearts would be pounding. We would stare at each other with wide eyes and giggle and kiss and hold hands and feel each other up. We would look over each other's shoulders to make sure we were safe for now. I could be arrested for committing any number of a litany of offenses so very badly. So I was convinced. I wanted confidence. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be a sexual being. A gay sexual being. To say the very least. But I was terrified of all the real and imagined consequences. I scanned the area. I did recon. Over what I felt was a very, very, very long period of time at least an hour on several furtive occasions. This wasn't just look left, look right, and take the plunge. Of course, I was convinced that other straight people that I knew were busy strolling past Christopher Street and 7th Avenue or even staking out the place all the time, and I was a sitting duck if I absentmindedly strolled in or out without making 100% sure the coast was clear. Whenever I reflect on that crucial event in my life... I think of The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot. I'll omit the epigraph for now. Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. Let us go through certain half-deserted streets, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells. Streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask what is it. Let us go and make our visit. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. The yellow fog that rubs its back upon the window panes, the smoke that rubs its muzzle on the window panes, licked its tongue into the corners of the evening, lingered upon the pools that stand in drains, let fall upon its back the soot that falls from chimneys, slipped by the terrace, made a sudden leap, and seeing that it was a soft October night, curled once about the house and fell asleep. And indeed, there will be time for the yellow smoke that slides along the street, rubbing its back upon the window panes. There will be time. There will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. There will be time to murder and create, and time for all the works and days of hands that lift and drop a question on your plate. A time for you, and time for me, 
and time yet for a hundred indecisions and a hundred visions and revisions before the taking of a toast and tea. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. And indeed, there will be time to wonder, do I dare? And do I dare? Time to turn back and descend the stair. With a bald spot in the middle of my hair, they will say, how his hair is growing thin. My morning coat, my collar mounting firmly to the chin, my necktie rich and modest, but asserted by a simple pin. They will say, but how his arms and legs are thin. Do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute there is time for decisions and revisions, which a minute will reverse. For I have known them all already, known them all, have known the evenings, mornings, afternoons. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. I know the voices dying with the dying fall beneath the music from a farther room. So how should I presume? And I have known the eyes already, known them all, the eyes that fix you in a formulated phrase. And when I am formulated, sprawling on a pen, when I am pinned and wiggling on the wall, then how should I begin to spit out all the butt-ends of my days and ways? And how should I presume? And I have known the arms already, known them all, arms that are braceleted and white and bare, but in the lamplight, downed with light brown hair? Is it perfume from a dress that makes me so digress? Arms that lie along a table or wrap around a shawl? And should I then presume? And how should I begin? Shall I say I have gone at dusk through narrow streets and watched the smoke that rises from the pipes of lonely men in shirt sleeves leaning out of windows? I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. And the afternoon, the evening, sleep so peacefully, soothed by long fingers, asleep, tired, or, it malingers, stretched on the floor, here beside you and me. Should I, after tea and cakes and ices, have the strength to force the moment to its crisis? But though I have wept and fasted, wept and prayed, though I have seen my head grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I am no prophet, and here's no great matter. I have seen the moment of my greatness flicker. And I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker, and in short, I was afraid. And it would have been worth it after all, after the cups, the marmalade, the tea, among the porcelain, among some talk of you and me, would it have been worth while to have bitten off the matter with a smile, to have squeezed the universe into a ball, to roll it towards some overwhelming question, to say, I am Lazarus, come from the dead, come back to tell you all, I shall tell you all, if one settling a pillow by her head should say that is not what i meant at all that is not it at all and would it have been worth it after all would it have been worth while after the sunsets and the dooryards and the sprinkled streets after the novels after the teacups after the skirts that trail along the floor and this and so much more it is impossible to say just what i mean but as if a magic lantern threw the nerves and patterns on a screen would it have been worthwhile if one, settling a pillow or throwing off a shawl and turning toward the window should say, that is not it at all. That is not what I meant at all. No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. I'm an attendant lord, one that will do to swell a progress, start a scene or two, advise the prince, no doubt, an easy tool. Deferential, glad to be of use, politic, cautious and meticulous, full of high sentence, but a bit obtuse, at times indeed almost ridiculous, almost at times the fool. I grow old. I grow old. 
I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves, blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed with seaweed, red and brown, till human voices wake us and we drown. So that was running through my head as I was thinking about going inside a gay bar for the first time in my life. I wanted to be a boy who would kiss other boys and people would applaud. I felt the need, the burning desire to see and smell and tingle and touch and hold and embrace and breathe deeply and forget about the world. I longed to feel that love and I had that almost unbridled lust, so I thought. I wanted to be among the boys becoming men who were attracted to and acted on their attractions to other boys becoming men. I wanted that bliss. It was very different than I had imagined. I gulped. Every step was like a treacherous mountain footpath. It wasn't reality, just a few steps above the street. I was a cat on a hot tin roof. It was dark inside, very atmospheric. It was sexual. It was pulsing. It was alien. It was mesmerizing. It was a gay bar. A gay bar. I was inside a gay bar. Oh my God. Everything had astronomical significance to me. Everything. I was wearing a coat my mom picked out and bought for me. At one point, an old guy, around 30, approached me with a handsome smile. He was very friendly. He was professionally dressed, immaculately groomed. He said hello. He offered to buy me a drink. I go, no, thank you, and ran out of there as fast as my weak-kneed legs could have taken me. I ran and ran and heaved my heaving chest as I slid against the wall of a nearby building. I did it! I went inside a gay bar! I even spoke to a gay man! Oh my God! I'm going to hell! I went back. I was in awe of guys my age who could confidently be themselves. They liked themselves. They were very attractive to me. Some were just scrawny guys like me, but they were free spirits compared to me. I don't even remember the first boy I ever kissed, but I do remember that it was very sweet. The first guy was vulnerable, and suddenly so was I. I remember letting my guard down, and he didn't have any guard up at all. By the way, older guys who kissed me forced it and were shoving their slobbering tongues all over my mouth like I was a toy. But the boys who were around my age were cute and fun and tasted sweet, and they had that sparkle in their eyes. And it was just so easy to undress them. And we laughed, and we rested our foreheads against each other's foreheads and stared into each other's souls, and it felt so good. And Boots and Saddle was not my cup of tea, but it remained the high temple of gay life in my mind for many, many years because it was my first. It became a drag bar and a really fun time later in its lifespan, then was forced out, moved, reopened nearby, and ultimately did not make it. Every time I went there, I looked at the inside with nostalgic eyes, and I had a private smile going on. Yeah, I will always love Boots and Saddle. I eventually found my way to other gay bars. I became a regular with Uncle Charlie's The Spike in the Eagle's Nest and patronized just about every other gay bar in the city, of course, 
And of course, there are plenty of stories about all three of those places in particular, but they are for another time. The first time at a bathhouse, the Big Apple Baths, I'm pretty sure it was on 49th and Broadway. I knew about this place because they had an ad in the Village Voice. I tried to look at all the ads in the voice and act like the ads for the gay stuff were just incidental to my thirst for knowledge so I could possibly look at the pages at school or on the subway or in any place that people sat and read. I read cartoons and photo funnies from the National Lampoon because on occasion they depicted nude guys. Genitalia. I didn't care about the text. I wanted to see nude guys. It was the Lampoon. It was cool. You could be seen looking at it nonchalantly and nobody would think twice, I told myself. I could not take my eyes off of those pages. I think I remember a multi-panel cartoon about foreign construction workers innocently going to a gay bathhouse and the hijinks that ensued. Oh, man. I longed for those hijinks. When I finally got there, it turned out to be something quite different. You had to walk up the stairs. Walking up the stairs... The awful talking on tone soundtrack that was always playing. The mural on the staircase. The very warm, congenial guy at the box office or register or checkout or front desk or whatever you called it. He was always smiling. He was always sweet. Once you got in, there were older guys with old-fashioned eyeglasses and bellies and paunches sitting there reading newspapers in their towels. The hustlers working the other older guys the old guys with the worn-out toupees where the weave remained, but the hairs had fallen out of patches. Hey, everybody needs loving. The aging pretty boys who were clinging on to the last filaments of the tendrils of their youth and their youthful looks, all wearing posing straps like it was an AMG photo shoot and maintaining an out-of-date hairstyle because that is what they look like when they looked best. And it was mentally, psychically locked in. The image had become static in their mind. We all do it. I just saw guys who were, let's be generous and say, over 30. And they did it a little bit more obviously and a little bit more pathetically. Not that they wanted pity. In my case, I was 19, oblivious to how selfish and insecure and inconsiderate I was, driven almost completely by desire and neuroses, and everybody looked old. I wanted a fresh sprout and didn't even know that. I just knew my dreamboat Adonis awaited me with shimmering muscles and classic good looks and affection, and my fantasies would come true just the way I imagined them. I wanted someone else my age from a similar social construct with which to relate to. I met guys who were over 30 who I thought were ancient. They did, however, tell me the rules. They smelled like men. Some were sort of stinky. Their scent was not yet attractive to my young senses. They had adult attitudes. They were sexy. They didn't care about almost anything I cared about, and I didn't care about almost anything they cared about, except for the common string most folks have for the basics. They kissed so sloppily and forcefully compared to my bird-pecking technique. Those guys made me scared. They led their way down completely different paths than I ever even knew existed. It was overwhelming. I still really, really, really wanted to make contact with other guys. I was frightened and felt alone. Some were creepy. Some were just gross. The guys who gave up on their looks were also the guys who carried money in the pockets of their shirts they inappropriately wore instead of towels. 
in a vain effort to cover their huge guts and unattractive bodies and readily offered me money without any prior contact or prompting and just sidled up to me as I was cruising or I'd stopped to see some group of guys and abandoned because I was fresh off the turnip truck. I didn't want any of that. I wanted to kiss another boy and take it from there and have him like me. I wanted to experience in real life what all those other butch, macho guys I knew from college referred to, bragged and boasted about as part of their adult sexual experience, which I, of course, found out was all complete poppycock. And as an aside, for me, that didn't happen at Boots and Saddle or the Big Apple Baths. Those Asian queens at the Big Apple Baths just cratered around a twink look they clung to and were on the verge of losing sight of it in the increasingly distant rear-view mirror. They were going to be buried with that haircut, or a reasonably priced facsimile. The hot tub looked like a giant, throbbing, pulsing vat of green slime that I never saw anybody ever put so much as a toe near, but was just sitting there and glowing, and it just overwhelmingly smelled of chlorine. But I took to the bathhouse culture like a fish to water, Never even had to pause to think about most things in any of those places. Like I just jumped into a pool and found my own watermark as I hit the water. I acted based on instinct, fear, and desire. I intrinsically knew that it was skeevy and not my style, even though I had never been to any bathhouse before. This could not be the way all of them are. It sure wasn't. But it was my first. It was during the daytime. Yeesh. Sunlight creeping into a place like that exposed, let's say, cred and slimy stuff and less flattering views of people and the surroundings. Luckily, there wasn't too much of that sunlight. I eventually found my way to other baths. Then I found my way to Nirvana, the St. Mark's Baths, the new St. Mark's Baths. It was a fantasy come to life. I used to regale a friend I worked with with stories about the place. He shook his head and proclaimed his jealousy of my experiences. One day he asked me if I ever knew Keith Haring. I said, no, I never knew him, but I would have liked to. And by the way, why do you ask? He told me that he had seen a documentary about Keith Haring on, I think, Ovation or Bravo back then. And he said Keith Haring talked about the St. Mark's Baths, and it was almost word for word what I said which is a few stories for another time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.